can I build this here? Just, just go do it, right? And you probably should have started it yesterday, truthfully. <laughs> you're, already, you're already a day behind, you know? Just go get it done. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Brian Lee. How you doing? I'm great. How are you, Eric? Good, good. Thanks for being on. So always like to ask, you know, before building some of the biggest e-commerce brands in the world and LegalZoom and all these amazing companies, let's take it way back to three, four years old. Did you come out of the womb, grab a laptop and start building or, you know, where, where are you from? Let's start there. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I was actually born into an entrepreneurial family. So I think that kind of just ran in my blood. My father was an entrepreneur. And so he kind of started his own company way back in the day. And I grew up watching him and working at, you know, at his company during the summers. I remember ever since I was like eight years old, nine years old, I would work in some of his warehouses nice. and you know, pick pack and shipping stuff. And so that's the life I grew up into. Oh, so you did legitimately grow up in what became kind of an e-commerce environment if you were used to pick pack and shipping and that started the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, it's something that I'm not sure if it came naturally, but I guess, you know, when you're around it for so long, you know, yeah. kind of, you know, becomes part of you. And where are you from? Where were you growing up? I was born in South Korea in Seoul. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but I grew up in Orange County, California. Nice. So right, down, right down the road from where I live now. Yeah. And so growing up, were your parents, did you work there because your dad needed help? And he's like, I have kids, they're coming to work. Or was it more of like pushing you to be an entrepreneur? Like how, how was that sort of parent side of it? He called it training. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so that was his view. He called it training. I don't, I'm not sure if he needed the, the help, but I, I would definitely, you know, work in the summers was always like, was always hard because I remember there was no air conditioning in these warehouses. Oh, yeah. And then I finally started moving, like when I got older, like when I was in high school, I started working at the front office, you know, doing more sales and some other stuff with my dad. So that's, that's kind of what I did. Nice. Got it. And so did you do that through middle school, high school, all your entire childhood you were working with them? Yeah, so my entire childhood until college, I stopped working uh, in college because I was focused more on studies and getting internships over the summer and so forth. And so I'm curious, during childhood, did you only work for your dad? Or did you have any other jobs? Did you ever do something else? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my first real job, and I don't tell too many people this, was a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Nice. <laughs> a team KFC. And I'll tell you, I, I love KFC to this day because they used to give me my first paychecks. And I have very fond memories of working with some friends frying chicken. That's amazing. That's awesome. And so were you, I'm curious, were you working there and working with your dad? Or was that a time where you like tried to get, do your own thing? That was a time when I tried to do my own thing. Gosh, back then, minimum wage, I remember, was like $4.75, I think. Maybe five bucks. And so I worked a lot of hours just to get enough money to fill up my gas tank. But it was it was more the camaraderie. I had a, a couple of really close high school friends who were working at that same location. And so we would just kind of hang out and work together and eat chicken together. Nice. And so I'm curious, other than obviously the exposure to dad working at KFC, did you have any inklings of entrepreneurship as a kid? Did Were you the kid that tried to, you know, sell things on the side of the road or like any of that side of things? Always. Yeah. From the earliest days, I mean, I remember very early on, this is probably in second grade, and I can't believe I remember this now, but in second grade, I would buy graph paper, and I would create these really cool mazes, and uh-huh. like, you know, on, the, on on paper, and I would sell these mazes to other kids for like a quarter. Yeah. Um, 
And so I was always into I was always into the hustle. I think I I, I liked you know selling things. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I told the story once before. I'm not sure if you heard about it. I remember um, trick or treating in a, in Halloween was like a big a big night for me because I would I would hit it pretty hard. Yep. into my neighborhood, start early and late, and I would collect all this candy, and then I would put four candies into a Ziploc bag and sell that at school for 50 cents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. There. It's like I was, always, I was always hustling, I think. Yeah, no, and it's that's something I see in common with a lot of entrepreneurs is that somewhere early on, whether it is parenting or something in you, the journey of being an entrepreneur and just selling things and trading and that side of things is exciting. And you, it almost becomes a hobby in some senses in the sense of like, you enjoy doing it. It's not work, it's fun. And so where'd you go to school? Right, for elementary College, school. yeah. Well, for college, I went to UCLA. Got it. And because yeah. you, yeah, you mentioned at college, that's when you started looking at internships and things like that. What did you go to study? What was your plan going to college? Interestingly, I went to UCLA as a bio major, biology major. Uh-huh. Uh, I had thought I wanted to become a medical doctor. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if I thought I wanted to become a medical doctor or if that was my parents kind of <laughs> thinking yeah. I should be a medical doctor. But I realized very early on at, at, at UCLA that I, I, I actually don't like blood. Like I get very yeah. squeamish around blood. Like if I bleed <laughs> myself, I almost faint looking at my own blood. It's like yeah. I, I just, I just, I just can't. And so I kind of switched my major to business economics. Okay. And fell in love with it. Actually, I, I, I love uh, economics. I love what I studied, and then went directly into law school. Oh. Uh, after, without taking any time off, so I went seven years straight at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, Diehard Bruin. The basketball team was great this year, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it, it's about time we turn things around there. But yeah, so diehard Bruin. I, I, I went to law school really because I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, Eric. Yeah. I was, I was like in undergrad, you know, firms would come and interview and recruit and so forth. And I, I did some interviews and got a couple jobs here or there, but just decided I'm just going to stay in school. When you mentioned internships, what kind of internships did you do in undergrad? In undergrad, I did all sorts of internships. One was at a, a company called Remington Securities, mm-hmm. and that was a a sales position for oil features. Oh wow! So basically, I was I literally cold calling people. They would give me a list of numbers to cold call, and that was like my job to try to get some people interested in you know oil features. Mm-hmm. And then I had an internship for an attorney named Eli Blumenfeld. Mm-hmm. It was an estate planning lawyer, the state tax lawyer. And he was wonderful. You know, he was such a great, you know, mentor to me. I worked there for like for almost two years actually. Mm-hmm. I was his file clerk and I would just keep all his files organized for him. And I would go there probably uh three times a week, I think. Yeah, that was that was that was great. I learned a lot about the law actually from him. And then where else did I intern? I interned for one of my professors, economics professors once, doing some research on that end. So any opportunity I had really, because I, I actually wasn't the greatest student. Mm-hmm. I was a great test taker, which you know, helped me get pretty far in education. Uh, luckily, I was a good test taker. But in terms of being a student, I was never I was never that kid that would take you know, great notes and show up to every class. I was more interested in what was going on in the outside world. And so that's yep. how I loved you know, working, and I love, you know, meeting people outside of school, even. And so I uh, you know, did as much of that as I could. Luckily, I went to UCLA, where there was a lot of opportunities to to go outside of the school and, you know, meet new people and, and, and figure out new things. 
Makes sense. And so what drove you to law school other than not, you know, not really knowing your path? Was it the clerkship and, and helping with filing or what? Was- yeah, it was. I, I, I saw what, you know, Mr. Blumenfeld was doing and it looked interesting to me. And so I actually went to law school with the intention of becoming a tax lawyer and a state lawyer, just like Eli Blumenfeld. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, but then realized that even in law school, I wasn't even sure if I was in the right place. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of going through the motions because I don't even think the law interested me. Interested, I wasn't that interested in even the law. Mm-hmm. I was just there going through the motions. I, I had great professors and I loved UCLA. And then, you know, I thought I was getting a great education, meeting great people. But the actual work itself, and I realized that even after law school, uh, when I started working for the firms, I didn't really get a lot of fulfillment out of that work. Yep. And it wasn't that it wasn't challenging or, or like, like I dislike the people. I, I love the people I worked with, and I think really highly of them. But it, it, it's, I, I just didn't enjoy the actual work. You know, it's like, I didn't get a lot of fulfillment out of it. Got it. And so what came next? What came next was LegalZoom. Yes. Okay. So how that how did that get started? Yeah. So it was I was working at Skadden Arps, which is a law firm. Mm-hmm. And my best friend from law school, his name's Brian Liu. Mm-hmm. Not Brian Lee. He's Brian yeah. Liu. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> Another good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so he was working at a, a firm called Sullivan and Cromwell, basically across the street from where I was working. So we would have lunch every day. Got it. And Every day at lunch, Eric, literally our conversation was, there's got to be something better than what we're doing. <laughs> there's got to be something better. And so we were, we were always dreaming up different ideas and so forth. And we finally came to the conclusion that, you know, and this was a big conclusion back then, this is 1997, that the internet was here to stay. <laughs> right? We're like, wow, this internet stuff, this this World Wide Web is, is is looks pretty interesting. Maybe we could do something online, but law related, because that's our background. Mm-hmm. And so we started bringing up ideas. Our first idea, believe it or not, was called what was it called? It was called Law Garden, L A W Garden, and we named it Law Garden because we like the name Amazon, <laughs> and we're like, and we also were into a band called Soundgarden back then. Great like, band. You're too, oh, okay. You remember them. Okay. <laughs> um, no, of course. <laughs> I thought you might be too young. Um, yeah, so we named it Law Garden. And the idea was that we were going to have stay-at-home attorney chat with you for basically $1.99 a minute, right? And so they would just uh, open a chat and you could just ask them anything. But what we realized very quickly was that at the end of the day, if you're giving legal advice like that, uh, personal legal advice, you're, you're, you're liable, right? And so you would need to, well, number one, you're a lawyer running a law firm and you can't raise money from non-attorneys that was an issue but then also we would have to be licensed you know take the bar basically in all 50 states and get approved in all 50 states there's a lot of problems with that model at the time and so we decided to scrap it and then that's when we honed down our legal idea to documents online mm-hmm. and that was the birth of legal Zoom. got it and how old were you guys when you started working on this 27 Nice. And how many years of law experience? Like how far out of school were you? Very cool. And so did it take off right away? You started putting documents online and it just blew up? No. (laughs) no. You know, the the interesting thing about LegalZoom, it it was never the the sexiest company. It really, I mean, look, we did legal documents, right? Mm -hmm. Legal services online. And so it was just that company that was 
really, it was always profitable, but we always grew the company, call it, you know, 15%, 20% a year profitably. Mm-hmm. And then you look back, you know, 22 years later, it's a pretty sizable business now. Yeah. And that's how we grew LegalZoom. It was really, really difficult for the, us to raise outside capital because mm-hmm. we just didn't know how. Um, yeah. Like a lot of venture capital firms said no to us initially. And, and so we had, to, we had to bootstrap it. And mm-hmm. so we, I put a little bit of money in, Brian Lee put a little bit of money in. We borrowed some from my parents and his parents. And that's how we started LegalZoom out of my condo with almost nothing. And so we, we had to make it work really in terms of you know, profitability because we just didn't have enough money not to be profitable. And so we got really lucky, I'll be honest with you. We got really lucky that we were early in search engine marketing. Mm-hmm. So I had a buddy from UCLA who took a job at Idea Labs in Pasadena back, yep. back in the day. And he started working on something called goto.com, G-O-T-O.com. And it was the first paid search engine. Right. And, and he said, Brian, why? It's like, I know you just started this company, LegalZoom. Why don't you sit 20 bucks into this account and put in some keywords and let's see if it works? Right. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Right. I'll put 20 bucks in. So I put 20 bucks in. We put the keyword, I think, last wills. I think we put living trust mm-hmm. and incorporate. Right. And back then, they were one cent per click. Right. For, for, yeah. for one cent a click. And so, I remember our $20 went down to about $19.50 and $19.20. And then, and then we got an order, right? And I, I remember we got an order for actually a prenuptial agreement of all things. And I, it was pretty incredible because we had like the back-end tool where we could um, see if we got any orders. And up until that point, the only people who had ordered anything were like my parents and yeah. my sister and, <laughs> and my little sister. You know? And so um, we, we see this name on there for a document. And we were like, oh my gosh, where'd this order come from? And, and we tracked it back to, to go to. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, this, this search engine marketing stuff actually really works. And so we were very early in that. I remember we were paying one cent per click for a bunch of different terms. And then I remember they raised a, the minimum price of five cents per click. And we freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, what are you, talking? you can't raise the price 500% on us. Yeah. We don't want to pay five cents per click. We're happy at one cent per click. Yeah. Anyway, today, today, and I'm sure you know, it's like the word yeah. incorporate. I mean, just the price per click on incorporate got just it's like craziness. Yeah. I was like $50 a click. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. And so that was like, but we started early. And when you start early in a, a new advertising platform, you just grow with it and you, you, you grow faster than anyone else who comes in too late. And then they can't catch up because the price per click is too high. Yeah, right. but you've got the margins and lifetime value calculated at that point that you can stay ahead. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. And yeah. so how long did you stick with LegalZoom? How long were you running that? I was running that with Brian for, call it, eight years, nine years, about nine okay. years. Yep. Yeah. And what caused you to leave? Like, did you guys end up selling a piece of it? I actually don't know what the outcome was there. Yeah, no. So LegalZoom was it's an interesting business. We sold it a couple times to different private equity firms. Mm-hmm. And so we got some, you know, liquidity out of it. Although we still own shares today, and you know, we're hoping for for the best for the uh, LegalZoom team. Yep, got it. And so, did you have a reason for leaving? Was it PE, or was it just I have a new idea? What happened nine years in? So the thing that I realized, even at LegalZoom, like you know, almost nine years in, nine ten years in, basically, it, it's I was happiest when we were working in the condo. Yeah, eating eating ramen with a very small team and and dreaming up you know 
legal zoom yeah i i i always kind of like i'm kind of addicted to that Uh and so i I wanted to start something new and that's when i started shoe dazzle uh, with kim kardashian yeah so i'm curious how that happened how'd you go from law to shoes women's shoes you know i don't know either eric No, it's it, it, it's pretty. I come up with a lot of ideas. That's that's one. Thing. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners to your podcast here. Yeah. That dream up ideas all the time. I'm one of yep. those. Guys, yep. You know? and, I, and by the way, I just decided note because I don't think I've told you this, but Chris Nella is the one that originally taught me digital marketing. Oh, really? That yeah, was working for you at the time. I was built swag of the month and he, I got introduced to him through an ad platform we were both using. It's like, you should meet Chris. And Chris would once a month meet up with me because I lived across the street from your office at the plaza there. And mm-hmm. I would walk over and have coffee with him and talk about how he thought about digital marketing. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you look at the businesses that I've started, because I've mm-hmm. them, the only explanation I have, Eric, is that they relate to the stage of my life, uh-huh. right? So with LegalZoom, I was a, a fresh lawyer. The internet was kind of fresh, and so LegalZoom made sense, right? In that for for the time for that snapshot of my life, and then with shoes, uh, I came up with the idea with my wife Mira uh-huh. uh, because I actually saw her shoe buying habits. Got it. It's like it, it was fascinating to me that that anyone could you know, spend that much time and energy <laughs> really going buying shoes. And she bought a lot of them. And I was like, yep. okay, that, that makes sense. So shoe dazzle. And then and how did you it. connect with Kim Kardashian? Like that, obviously she ended up going up, but how was that? Yeah. That happening? So Kim Kardashian was very, very early in Kim's career, if you will. Mm-hmm. And she's a wonderful person. One of the hardest working, smartest people I know, truthfully. And she actually was introduced to me through Robert Shapiro, who I started LegalZoom with. Uh-huh. So Robert Shapiro used to work with Kim Kardashian's father. That's right. He was very good friends with Rob and Chris Jenner. And so with Rob Kardashian and Chris Jenner. Right. And, and so basically I had met Kim at a couple of Bob's dinner parties and this and that. But when we came up with the idea for Shootazzle, we came up with a list of different kind of influencers that we thought would make sense for the for it. And my wife was the one who said, let's talk to Kim Kardashian. She just started this new TV show called uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And it was honestly episode three. Wow. And my wife is like, season one, episode three is when we first talked to talk to Kim. So it was very, very early. Mm-hmm. Like I, I often tell people there's no way we would have been able to get to Kim today with an yeah. idea like that. But back then she was open to it and, and it was off to the races. And so she knows it was an interesting one because we had the uh, the website built. We had Kim Kardashian ready to do the press. We had capital. We had everything, but we had no shoes. Um, <laughs> because, because I'm not from the shoe world. And yeah. that is, you know, my wife or Kim or MJ, who was uh, another co-founder there. Uh-huh. But someone had told us you could just drive to City of Industry. And there's all these places that sell shoes there. And you could just go buy shoes there. And so I always thought, okay, no problem. So we actually rented a U-Haul truck and drove to City of Industry and knocked on some doors of these, you know, shoe sellers. And I remember it's like we were picking out shoes that we were like, we'll take 20 pairs of this one, we'll take 20 pairs of that, and 10 pairs of this one. And we're looking at this like we're crazy, right? And the minimum order is 1,200 pairs. (laughs) I'm like, we don't need 1,200 pairs. 
They're like, uh-oh, right? And I remember it's like we had to stall, like postpone the launch of shoe dazzle and postpone everything until we got our shoes. Yeah. And we finally found a partner. There's a company called Michael Antonio. And I remember talking to them and convincing them of this idea. And they actually took a small equity in shoe dazzle and started doing small batch runs for us. Uh-huh with our label shoe downs along the shoes and, and so that's how we got started but not without a lot of headache and yeah. I, often, I often say that you know it, it's really interesting because shoe downs was very unique and i actually think it takes an outsider sometimes from that industry to come up with new ideas because mm-hmm. if i it's like i remember like even at shoe downs we went to the wsa show which is the world shoe association it was back then it was a gigantic shoe show Mm-hmm. Uh, in Las Vegas, and they took out three convention centers, and the whole city was consumed with people from the shoe world. And I remember going there after we had launched Dazzle to go to the, the shoe convention, and I swear to people that if I had gone to that shoe convention before we started Shoe Dazzle, I don't think we would have ever started Shoe Dazzle. Yeah, you know, it would have scared the the, the crap out of me. Truthfully, that there were that yeah. many people trying to sell shoes, yeah. I would have scared the the bejeebies out of me, and so. You know, sometimes it's better just not to know. Yep. <laughs> right? I agree. So, yeah. And so that was the case of Shootouzle. And- yeah, for my business, every agency owner I talked to that had sold to Omnicom and WPP was always like, oh, month to month will never work. You can't scale a business without contracts. And I was like, but I came from e-commerce. I never had contracts with my customers before. So yeah. I, I think there's something different here. And I just stuck with it. Even my own dad, who's a pretty successful guy, was like, I don't think you can do this without contracts. I'm like, I yeah. think I can. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So she was a, that was a really fun, that was a really fun company to build. Yeah. And so what ended up happening? I know you guys hit, you ended up selling to Jess Fab, but like, yeah. what, what was the limitation that didn't allow an exit? Yeah. You know, the thing is, we, we kind of went a little sideways at She Dazzle. And okay. that's a lot that I've learned uh, over time is that, you know, money, taking capital is is good when you need it. But basically, you know, always have sight on profitability, always, even if you take a bunch of capital. Right? Really, really understand your unit metrics, understand what it's going to take to, to flip the switch when the time is right to, to turn profit. Don't know. And if you get way ahead of your skis, the money train ends. Yeah. And in, in the case of shoe dazzle, the recession kind of hit pretty quick. Got it. And money dried up very quick. And so yeah. there was not that next round to be had. And we couldn't get it to become profitable. Yeah. So we had we had to sell the company. And fortunately, you know, we met a great partner in textile mm-hmm. and just fab who had the same model as shoe dazzle. And so it kind of was a, a good fit. And so we we kind of sold it off to to, to textile. And I heard shoe dazzle still doing fine and doing well for them. So that's I'm happy awesome. with it. That's great. And so did you overlap with Honest or what was next? Did you leave there and immediately jump into that? What happened? Yeah. So I had, I remember for Shoe Dazzle, we had brought in an outside CEO and then I went to go start the Honest Company. Hmm. I had a VC of both Shoe Dazzle and the Honest Company for a little while. And did Jessica and Chris come to you with that? I don't remember the exact story there. Yeah. So Jessica came to me with it because I'm friends with Cash. Uh, uh-huh. Cash and great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, and so Cash is like, hey, Jessica has this idea for um, organic lifestyle brand focused on you know babies and diapers and so forth. And I said, great, I'll also sit down with her and talk to her about it. And so sat down, fell in love with the, with the concept, 
thought really highly of her and her passion around you know solving this 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 problem mm -hmm. and so i actually truthfully speaking i actually wasn't looking to start something i was just going to call it you know stick with chew dazzle and then and legal zoom at the time and you know, I, I i was kind of thinking i was done as an entrepreneur <laughs> you're just going to invest in yeah i was just going to invest and do angel investing and so forth mm -hmm. and, but I fell in love with with, with the honest company and the, and, and the idea of what it could become. And did you have kids at that point? I did. I just had our, our first kid. So you were saying your kind of path of entrepreneurship was very linear to your life path. So you start yeah. having kids, you start caring about children's products. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And that's when I realized that, you know, just watching my own family's behavior when it came to products, mm -hmm. that you want to even feed your children and, and surround them with. My, my wife was... You know, deeply concerned about. And so that's, that led us to living a more kind of organic, natural lifestyle, if you will. Like I had never shopped at Whole Foods before having kids. Mm -hmm. you know? Like I was never that guy mm -hmm. until I had kids. And, and, and so, you know, with, with Jessica, look, she's a dynamo. She's a real go-getter. And she, once she decides to do something, she's all in. Yep. Right. And so that was why Honest Company succeeded is because yep. of Jessica and, and, and her hard work and her vision with the company, I was honestly there to just help guide her in terms of building the company, getting it structured, getting it organized, as well as raising capital for her uh, mm -hmm. and, and the company. And so I did that for five years or so, five or six years, mm -hmm. and we found a great CEO uh, named Nick Vlahos. And Nick is, I mean, uh, for those who don't know Nick Vlahos, I mean, this guy is like, he's incredible, really understands brand, you know, how to scale it a product to offline retail as well as online. Like yep. he was a perfect CEO for us. So I stepped aside, he came in and has really ramped the business. And so awesome. couldn't, be, couldn't be more proud for, for Jessica and for Nick and the entire team over there. And is Jessica still pretty, very involved, like very active? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. She, she, she lives on this company. Like, yeah, that's, that's her. Yeah, no, and it, it's just, it's always cool to see like similar to like what you've done where you've built these companies for a few years and then put in like more of a professionalized leadership team. Like, cause I, I know Sean well and Christopher well and their new projects and they seem to be really good, kind of similar to you. Like, I want to get this from sort of zero to two, but not go all the way to 10. Like, I want to get this up running everything. And then once it's, you know, sort of stable, bring someone in that can scale it. That's right. That's, right. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, 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 remember what I told you at the beginning of the, 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 the talk that I'm kind of addicted to that startup phase. Yeah, exactly. I love, I love year zero to call it year three, four. So have you thought about moving back to the condo and just starting things out of there? <laughs> what, I, what I actually ended up doing was starting my own incubator uh, yeah. at Bank Labs. And I, I, any ideas that I have that I really want to pursue, I'll build teams around it. Um, you know, get, get companies started that way. And, you know. Did Holler come out of that or was that a separate thing? No, Holler was totally separate. Okay. Holler was totally separate, yeah. Got it. Another good guy, Dave. Good guy. But I'd love to hear more about, so when did you start that incubator? Was it right after you left Honest or? Uh, yeah, it was after I left Honest, maybe a, a year later. It was, just, it was just an idea that I had that I still wanted to, to start companies and get them launched. I didn't mm -hmm. want to run any of the companies, yep. but I wanted to work with with great teams and, and kind of stay on as kind of a chairman and kind of like a, a little bit of guidance at the top. But outside of that, it's like let them run. And so, I, like I told you, I, I have like gosh, just dozens of ideas. Mm -hmm. 
And it's really, you know, it's even fun for me. Eric is like, I'll come up with all these ideas and then somebody will go get it started. I'm like, ah, oh, I knew someone would start that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like one of those kind of things. It's like, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people do that. But yeah, I remember even Casper and I love the the, the whole Casper mattress team. Yeah. And I remember like seeing a compressed memory foam mattress years ago. Right, years ago, I remember a buddy of mine took me to this warehouse and they're like compressing these mattresses. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You can now actually ship mattresses via e commerce. Uh-huh. Incorrectly. And I, I had it in the back of my head, like, gosh, you could, someone could start a, a mattress business this way. And you know, that was gonna, ended up being Casper. But yeah. Yep. Now there's a ton of them because it became, you know, commoditized in some ways too. Interesting. And, and then when did you start the venture fund? When did you actually, I'm sure you angel invested along the way, but when did you decide to start like a venture fund? That was, that was a little while ago. So I would say I started angel investing called 15, 16 years ago, probably just small checks into the ecosystem, you know, backing great entrepreneurs and friends and so forth. And I remember I woke up once and I, I had like a hundred angel investments. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm not managing this 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 portfolio. The only it was really it was pretty bad, Eric. Right? <laughs> like the only that I, like I would never track anything. Yeah. And so I would I would either get a notice like, hey, we're selling for a huge amount of money. I'm like, yay. Yeah. Or it would be like, hey, we're 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 bankrupt. So I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> and that, that was like, <laughs> I was like, this is no way to manage a portfolio. And yeah. so I actually talked to Rich John about my my issue. And he was your general counsel, right? Yeah, he was my GC over at Shoe Dazzle, but right. a lifelong, for almost a lifelong. I mean, I yeah, he's great. Forever. Yeah. And so we used to play basketball together he, when we were <laughs> still, you know, first year lawyers. And then he, he basically said, Brian, you guys stop doing that. Like, why don't we put a little bit of structure around this and get it organized and let's start a venture fund? Like, that sounds great, Rich. Let's go do that. And so we started BAM Ventures, call it five and a half, six years ago now, uh-huh. or six years ago. And it's done well. So we had BAM yeah. 1, BAM 2, and now we're working on the BAM 3. Nice. And so, yeah, I'm curious, just because I know, I, Honey, was that your biggest win in that? Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. Out, of, that was out of BAM Fund 1, yeah. Yeah. And was, I'm curious, how has the fund financially performed you versus LegalZoom or ShoeDazzle? Like, where has been your biggest win career-wise so far? When you say win, do you mean... Financially. You mean, oh, financially? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I would say my... No one's ever asked me that before, because... <laughs> I'd say my, my biggest one is probably LegalZoom. Yeah. On, at least on paper. Yeah. And then and then Honest and then Bam Ventures. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was curious. And so, you know, a couple more questions for you. You've got the fund going, as you said, you're working on fund three. You've got your incubator. What do you think's next? Like what's exciting to you kind of looking down for the next five years? I want to continue doing Bam Ventures. I think that's uh, I think it's really fun. I don't think I, I truly don't consider it work meeting entrepreneurs and yeah. hearing ideas and trying to help companies that we've backed. I I, I think it's fun. Uh-huh. Like I, I would prefer to do that than even vacation. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. like that. Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's uh, so I can see myself doing that for forever. But uh, I, I still have ideas that I want to get launched, uh-huh. and so I can see the labs continuing and and and, and getting some. Some more companies launch that way. And how do you find the operators for those? Like, um, you, if you're being the chairman, how do you you have a great idea? How do you go about finding someone to run it? Well, our, my network's pretty vast at this point. Mm-hmm. I've worked with so many great people across so many different companies, and so I, I have a, a list of folks that I that I could go to. But also, yeah. like anyone anyone new too. It's like you know, so it's 
I, I could reach out to a myriad of people who know other folks that, that are looking to become you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs and, and, and so forth. So like, for example, like even you, Eric, like I would reach out to you and say, Eric, do you know anyone who would be interested in X, Y, Z? Yep. Makes sense. Awesome. And so last question for me is what would be your one piece of advice? You, you work with tons of new entrepreneurs, tons of people pursuing their dreams. What do you think is the one driver to get someone to achieve their dreams, whatever that might be? You know, I would say that the time is today, right? So if you, if you really want to go start something, build something, do it today. Get started. Even if, it, even if you have to side hustle it, mm-hmm. start working on it because, you know, honestly, someone else is probably already working on something somewhere. That's number one. But number two, you don't get time back. Yep. And, 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 and don't be scared. You know, don't be scared. Just, just go do it, right? And, and it, it's, you probably shouldn't have started it yesterday, truthfully. <laughs> you're, already, you're already a day behind. You know? it's yeah. like, just, just go get it done. Yep. Great advice. Brian, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming on Hawk Talk. Uh, thank you for having me, Eric. Of course. Anytime. See you soon. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts, all month-to-month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E media.com you've been listening to hawk talk to ensure you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player if you're listening in apple podcasts we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves thank you so much for listening until next time